Hey, you guys, it's Kiana Daniels here and Bridget Flaherty with Tears, Ties and Transformation, a podcast about healing. And we are here today to say thank you to everyone who has supported us, our Kickstarter campaign, the podcast in general, our listening sessions, because we have hit our goal. And we are so grateful to all of our backers and supporters and for all of you who listen to this wonderful podcast where we are creating a safe space for women to talk about their healing journeys and have courageous conversations. Again, we thank you and we are so grateful and we have some amazing news that Bridget is going to share. So we are offering an additional gift to our backers if we reach our stretch goal. So moving forward, every $500 that we receive pays for another episode. And if we reach $10,000 on the Kickstarter, which is totally doable because we've got two more weeks, if we reach $10,000, we are going to be gifting a Tears, Tides, and Transformation journal with journal prompts to every sponsor of $100 or more. So if you've already pledged, feel free to upgrade that pledge $100 or more. If we reach $10,000, we'll add in that journal. And if you haven't, consider it. Consider sponsoring us. Share the Kickstarter with your friends and family. Let's get the word out so we can keep creating this content for you. Again, thank you so much, everyone. We appreciate you. We love you. And go on over to our social media platforms on Facebook and IG, as well as our website, TearsTiesAndTransformation.com, to support our Kickstarter campaign and share it with your friends. And let's dive into our interview with Stephanie Hutchins. She's an author of a book called Transformation After Trauma, and she shared with us a whole bunch about her journey. So this book is kind of part memoir, part self-help. So She shares a lot about her personal journey, but then also shares tips and tools that readers can benefit from, can learn from her experience. It's a powerful book. It's available on Amazon and on Kindle. So you guys have to check it out. So I'm Stephanie Hutchins, and I currently live in the capital region in New York, and I was born and raised in New York, and I love it here, and most of my family still lives in the area. So my book, Transformation After Trauma, is part memoir, part how-to. So it's a story of my journey through many years of traumatic experiences But it's not about bringing people there. It's about showing people how I got out of that deep, dark place. And why I felt the need to write this book is because people who meet me today and don't know about my story think I've been privileged in many ways. 
They see my adventures around the world and they see the education I've had and the career opportunities I've had. And they just feel a lot have just been given to me and they don't realize the many years of darkness I had to wade through to get to this point. And as I started to share with people my story of what I've been through and they saw like how far I've come, their next question was, how did you do it? How did you get to where you are now? Because for many people, they see it as impossible. And so after having a number of people ask me, how did you do it? I realized I had a story that was worthwhile telling and that people could benefit from my journey. And so it prompted me to be vulnerable in sharing my traumatic experiences, but also expressing deep gratitude for the opportunities I've had to heal and pay it forward so other people can use the same tools that I have and hopefully find some relief. So she felt that people could benefit from her journey, both the darkness and the process and the tools. She has PTSD. So healing for her looks like not getting derailed every single time a memory from the past comes up. And what she said is you can't erase them, but you can learn to cope with them, which I really resonated with. Also having PTSD, the idea that we can change the reaction to the memories is really powerful. Yeah, it sounds very powerful. And I look forward to reading her book. And I can resonate with that as well. I think those triggers. I too have PTSD from childhood traumas and I am now in a place where I'm actively cognizant of those triggers and how I show up, the reaction to your point, and then how to adjust in the moment. So it takes a lot of intention. And it takes practice. It takes intention. It takes practice. She shared with us and she also shares with her readers that she experienced some pretty traumatic sexual violations from between the ages of nine and 19 by eight different men. Three of them were family members. And these were people that she was supposed to trust. So this really impacted her brain at a time when her brain was still developing. And she sees now, even at 39 years old, the impact of what happened to her 30 years ago. With having my traumas occur at such a young age and actually my first three victimizers were all relatives of mine. So from experiencing sexual violence, not only in an early age, but by people I was supposed to trust, gave me, I guess, a really scary view of what the world was like. And I just felt like at every turn, I had to watch out because something or someone dangerous was lurking around the corner. And it turned out to be true in many ways because actually seven of those men violated me by the age of 15. I've spent most of my adult life thus far learning and teaching about the human body and a lot about the human brain. And when I think about the trauma that I experienced when my brain was still developing, you know, and I see how I react to certain situations today particularly in relationships with people I'm supposed to trust and who are supposed to love me. I try to remember that I have to treat myself with empathy and compassion when I react in ways that maybe I wish I didn't because I have to remember that I was hurt at a time when my brain was still developing and forming 
connections and relationships to different memories in my mind. And I can still see even today, I'm 39 years old. I still can see the effects 30 years later. It's hard to know that that pain still lingers. So I have been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and I can see how it affects me. It's like I'm always on guard. At an early age, I had to learn that I had to watch for danger around every single corner. And that still is in me today. Like my muscles are always very tense and it's hard for me to relax my muscles. And because of that, I deal with a lot of chronic pain, particularly back pain and other joints, particularly my knees and other areas. And when I go to like massage therapist, they can feel the palpable knots in my muscles and they'll ask me, particularly if they're handling my neck and other areas, they'll ask me to relax and let go. And it's like I literally have trouble letting go and trusting another person when they're touching me. Because for so many times in my life, hands were used to hurt me. And so to like let down my guard at any time in life is difficult, but when I'm literally being touched by another person, it's even more challenging for me. The other way is that because I was hurt so much by the hands of others, and particularly by hands that were supposed to love me, these people I was supposed to trust, it's like I don't trust myself and my own hands. So when I first graduated from high school, I thought I wanted to be a chiropractor. And like, I was convinced that was the goal. Like that was the destination, my life purpose. But what I found is that I had a lot of difficulty in adjusting patients and actually putting my hands on people and doing the physical manipulation of their body. And it was like, I always was afraid of hurting them. I was always very timid and always asking, are you okay? Am I hurting you? And now today I'm a yoga instructor. And when I was learning to do physical assist, it all came back to me that like, I am always worried about my hands hurting other people because I feel like everybody has that capacity. And if all these people can deliver pain through their hands, then I must have that ability to deliver pain as well. And I'm just afraid of hurting people. That's how PTSD shows up, always on guard, looking for danger around the corner. And even if we're not aware of that, her body is aware of that. So she has tense muscles, chronic pain, and she has found that her journey really is about learning how to let her guard down. She finds it very difficult when someone like a massage therapist puts their hands on her body because at a time when she was learning body autonomy, she was violated. And so she shares a lot in her book about that part of her healing journey, about learning to allow herself to relax in situations where previously she had been taught to be on guard. And as someone who also experienced sexual trauma as a child, there are a lot of triggers that we often are not aware of until we're in the moment. Yeah. So, well, first and foremost, I think that as all of our guests are so brave to share their story, I'm grateful that Stephanie shared her story about her journey. 
and what she's learned and then now has turned that trauma into triumph and for herself and for other women. So did she talk about like, you know, being cognizant in those moments and being aware of those triggers? What are her practices that she puts into motion to help her navigate those situations? That's a great question. So she actually shared a story, which is also in her book, about going to a Turkish bath. I have been fortunate enough to travel around the world, and I now aim to experience massage in every country I go to, to see the differences in techniques and styles. And so when I was in Turkey, I did that. And when I was there, my hotel had a spa And they asked me if I wanted to experience, in addition to the massage, a traditional Turkish bath. And I've never had another person bathe me, well, ever. (laughs) So I do have a very adventurous spirit. So part of me was like, I just want to experience this traditional Turkish bath. But it didn't really dawn on me until after I got into the room with the person who was going to bathe me and massage me, it didn't really like occur to me that I would have to be naked (laughs) and that she's literally going to be washing me. So the only thing they gave me was this little plastic like little thong. (laughs) So it's completely see-through. And I was very overweight at that point. So I had rolls and a lot of cellulite and I was very insecure about my body the whole time was trying to cover myself up and I'm like fully naked and I'm on this like stone slab and this woman's trying to bathe me and I just kept saying, I'm sorry and like trying to cover my body. And she kept saying to me quietly, it's okay, it's okay. And the bath was probably an over an hour. And over time of her just continually reassuring me, and she just touched me so soft. She was so gentle with me. And she kept just reassuring me and reminding me essentially that I'm safe. I eventually, by the end of it, was able to immerse myself in the experience because of her constant reassurances and the safe environment that she created for me. And I'm so grateful for that because the bath ended with this, I forget what they call it, this balloon type of thing, almost like a pillowcase where they create like a balloon with it. And it's filled with suds. She takes this big balloon of like suds and does a whoosh all over my body with suds. And it was the most exhilarating feeling. Like, I have never experienced anything since. Oh, that's right. It's called a foaming bag. And if any of you, like, ever have the opportunity to experience a traditional Turkish bath, you should just to experience this foaming bag because the sensation is so exhilarating. And then after that, we went into the massage. And by that time, I knew I could trust her. And I just had the whole experience was over two hours at least. And I just remain immensely grateful to her for letting me know that everything was going to be okay and that I was okay, that I'm not repulsive, too repulsive to touch. I mean, I think that's an important thing to know about my story is that 
one of my earliest victimizers was very cruel to me. He started violating me at 12 and he would grab the rolls on my stomach and say, look at how disgusting you are. And you should be so grateful that I even want to touch your disgusting body. And so all these years later, I still have this idea in my mind that I'm disgusting and that everybody's repulsed by my body. And so to have this woman not look at me with disgust, she just smiled and she was just so beautiful, like inside and out. And I just really knew I could trust her. Slowly but surely, these experiences that I have of people showing me that they can touch me without hurting me and that my body isn't repulsive, little by little, it starts to change this narrative that I've had ingrained in my mind from an early age. I'm grateful for those experiences. It sounds like such a experience to first be open. There was a whole process that occurred there. Like she travels, she goes to these places, she challenges herself to be open to these new experience in a new way that she's used to experiencing them or had experienced them in her past. And I think that's courageous in and of itself, but for her to have that moment where she actively had to overcome the trauma and the woman, the masseuse being able to not take it personally. And I think that's probably the woman's intuition of knowing that something had occurred and to immediately go into nurture mode when you allow yourself to be open and to allow others to help support in that moment. We are, I think, amazed at the support that we receive and how it actually helps us to get over the hump. I think that you're right. It's this combination of putting ourselves in a situation that we know is going to challenge us, right? So trauma often shows up in our bodies. And so acknowledging that I know I'm going to get triggered and I'm going to do it in a place that is safe, that I can work through, that I can breathe, that I can come out on the other side feeling safe. I think sometimes we don't know when those moments are going to happen. We step in. We know we're challenging ourselves. We don't know how we're going to react. Sometimes we do. We know that this is going to be a triggering experience and I'm doing it so that I can change the narrative of how I feel about my body or about my trauma. And this story, along with a number of the other stories in her book, really illustrates the tools in a very personal way. The Turkish bath story is one that I personally can envision. I can envision feeling like really uncomfortable being in a bath and someone bathing me and how all that negative self-talk could really change the experience from something that should be enjoyable to something that would be really difficult. But also at the same time, how choosing to go through that can change our trauma reactions, our triggers. It's really amazing how life teaches us what is a trigger and what is not and how we will respond to that. It's so interesting, which is why we have to be flexible, I think, and open to certain experiences. We have to be open to learning new lessons about ourselves. But it's sometimes it's very difficult because we don't, if we haven't experienced it, and maybe we are being intentional about trying to overcome some type of a trauma or hardship or challenge, but because we haven't yet had that experience, we don't really know how we're going to respond. So it is, again, it's just such a brave thing to do. And it's so much 
unknown in a situation. I love Stephanie's story and for her to then turn it into a book of self-help, not only for herself, but for other women, because we do need tips and tools to help us deal with life. Absolutely. And I think I want to touch on one of the things you said about learning to trust ourselves. And so one of the things that's necessary before we step into a moment where we know we're going to be triggered is to learn to listen to our body. So she talked about another struggle for her. She calls it a great love and a performed form of self-destruction, which is food. So as a teenager, she had an eating disorder, which was bulimia, where she binged and purged up to eight to 12 times a day. Later in life, she stopped the purging, but she continued binging and gained a lot of weight. And today she's learning to use food to show herself love. And she talked about the idea of mindful eating, which is eating slowly and listening to your body's response, watching for signals and how that translates into mindful eating. Food, I say, is my one great love and my preferred form of self-destruction. During my teenage years, when my traumas were at their worst, I had a very severe eating disorder. I was bulimic, and I binged and purged 8 to 12 times every single day. It was really bad, and I got really small. And then later on in life, I stopped the purging, but I continued the binging. And so I gained an enormous amount of weight. I became morbidly obese. And so now today, the woman who's now almost 40 years old is now working on using food to show myself love. It's hard. Like even still some days I still binge when I'm really stressed and overwhelmed. I still binge. But one thing that I've gotten better at doing is practicing mindful eating, which I do cover in my book, because it's really about learning to listen to my body and listening to the wisdom that it's trying to share with me. And by eating really quickly, I'm not allowing my body time to send me the messages it's trying to share. And so one thing I've been really working on to show myself love is to listen to my body's signals. And so one way is to listen to my body's signals of when I'm hungry or when I'm full. But it's also in listening to my body's signals as far as when my body is in pain. See, one thing that I've done throughout much of my healing journey is utilized exercise, different forms of exercise, but I'm very prone to doing it in excess. And I end up injuring myself a lot. And part of why I get injured is I don't listen to my body. That's another way I'm trying to practice self-love these days is to listen to my body when I can see that it's more than just tension in my muscles, that I'm actually like injuring joints and just learning to decipher the difference and when I need to lay off maybe hiking or yoga and just listen to the wisdom my body's sharing. She also talked about working out and how she had used working out as a way to punish herself. Again, all this related to this hatred of body that came from other people, but learning now to listen to the wisdom of her body in both eating and in working out, learning how to cherish her body instead of punishing her body. 
And I think that's a common narrative in people that have had childhood abuse or childhood sexual abuse, this idea that we punish ourselves because we were punished. In the healing journey, sometimes we can overdo it, right? So learning how to listen to our bodies, I think, is a really critical component to the healing journey. I agree with that. But in order for us to even get to a place of listening and honoring our bodies, we have to slow down enough to be still and to create room for quietness and not being busy and on the go all the time. Because I also believe that I think from personal experience, being busy is a trauma response also of not dealing. And a lot of times, sometimes it's unconscious and sometimes it's conscious But so that we can get to a place of trusting ourselves and really being able to be cognizant of what is triggering us and what is impacting us, we really have to create that safe space of being still. One of the largest topics in Stephanie's book is meditation. So she spends a lot of time talking about that stillness, calming your mind through breath and through mindfulness and other types of meditation. So she actually takes time to go through different types of meditation and how to start. So she talked about how at the beginning, it was scary to be alone with her own thoughts and how it took practice to create a safe space for herself to be still, to be quiet. And over time, that space became larger The time she could be in stillness was longer. And then also it became a safe space that when she was triggered, she could go back to that stillness. Because if you don't feel safe, it's going to be really hard to relent and to just give up to paying attention to your breathing patterns. But it took me a while to get to that point. But by continually practicing in being still and using the same space, I learned I was safe in that space. And that stress response over time minimized every time I sat down to meditation. And now today, I don't have that stress response when I sit down. I can go right into my meditation. But it took me time to get there, just like with massage took me a long time of getting massaged before I let myself go and really release myself into the hands of the masseuse. I really took practice. And the same thing happens with meditation. The more you practice, the more you're going to realize that you can be safe in that time and that you can really sort of let yourself go to the moment. And more than that, too, So meditation is all about coming back to a single point of focus, whether it's your breath or paying attention to sounds or sensations around you. But meditation has taught me to always come back to one point of focus so that when I am out and about or even doing my work and memories from the past creep in, okay, because I can be like just out walking or doing something unrelated to my trauma for my job. And all of a sudden, a memory from my past just like comes out of nowhere. Instead of it derailing me like it used to, I pretend like my work or the walk I'm on is my single point of focus. It's my meditation that I'm doing. And instead of looking at that memory that came in with judgment and condemning myself or thinking about these things, I just go back to my single point of focus just come back to what I'm focusing on. And I may have to do it over 
and over again. But what I can see is that I can always come back and I'm safe. And so meditation has given me a way to reassure myself of ways I can be safe and be safe in the quiet. I mean, I guess I've never heard it said like that. But when you think about it, I think we do breathe through triggers and traumas all the time. If someone says something and we know we're about to explode, we're like, okay, let me count to 10. Let me just remove myself from this situation. So, but I've never heard it verbalized like that, but it makes all the sense in the world. And it actually does help to breathe. That's something that I practice too. It's one of my words for this year is breathe. Just deep breaths really make a difference in a day. To just take time to pause and be still and to be mindful and to be present enough to take a breath and not just continue to operate in chaos because I believe that's what the world is when we're just like on the go all the time. Those breathing exercises really do teach us a lot of things about just being mindful and present, which in turn is something that is so foundational to the healing journey. You have to be able to be present and mindful and alert to even have the understanding of what needs to change and shift so that we can have a different experience, a different lived experience than we've had. And I think that is the switch for a lot of people when we actually have the opportunity to give ourselves that time. Another topic that she talked about was the idea of community. And I think we talk a lot about community and women supporting women in their healing journey. But what was interesting about Stephanie's story is that she really had a hard time trusting people. So creating community is difficult when you have issues with trust and that anytime someone gets close, you are triggered because in the past, people who were close to you abandoned you or abused you. And so she had this pattern where as soon as she felt people getting close to her, she would slam the door and disappear. It was just too scary. For years, I really didn't let people too close at all. And it's only been in the past few years that I've been working on that with people that showed me that it's amazing to me how many people I still have in my life after I shut the door on them over and over and over again. Because I would like shut the door on them and then I wouldn't talk to them for months. And then I reach back out and say, how are you doing? talk with them for a day or two, and then shut the door again. And some people eventually gave up on me, but there's people who stayed. And what I decided a few years ago is for those people that decided to stay, I decided to give them, I decided to give them a little bit more of myself. And what I did is I told them that I wanted to build my friendship and my relationship with them, but I was scared to death of doing it. And something interesting happened by just sharing with people that I was scared to get close and I'm trying my best to inch closer to them. They softened with me and they were like even accommodating and understanding and more like the woman who gave me that bath and telling me it's okay and I understand and we're going to go at the pace that you need to go at. This just was beautiful because as I gave a little bit more of myself, they gave a little bit more of themselves to me because what was happening is they kept a very superficial relationship with me because I kept slamming the door in their face. So once they saw I was making an effort 
to get closer to them. I just fell in love with them and wanted to give them more of me. And then they gave themselves more to me. And it just became this beautiful snowball effect. And now a few years later, I have tremendous relationships with a number of women, family and friends. And our relationships just keep getting more beautiful over time. I'm so glad that I eventually allowed myself to be vulnerable with those that proved that they were there for me, that they're not out to hurt me, and that I can trust. And what has happened in that vulnerability is this beautiful cycle where that one act of being vulnerable in her fear softened them to open up to her, which then created a space for her to feel safe in sharing with them. And then it becomes this cycle where now she says, I truly have deep and meaningful relationships, a supportive community, which I think is just so beautiful. And I think often we talk about how that is so necessary, but the idea that it in and of itself can be difficult because of our traumas is just so enlightening in the way that Stephanie talked about it. Oh, I absolutely resonate with that because that is my journey too. The reason I didn't trust people was just because I had to learn that I'm a trustworthy person. So when you're a trustworthy person, people know that they can confide in you and you're going to keep that information to yourself. Lots of people want to come process information or things that occur with you. And it could also include other people's business. So for me, what that told me was I cannot trust my friends or people because I didn't realize at the point that I was a trustworthy person. So but what that did internally was it made me feel like I could not share. And so I suffered in silence when things would happen, just regular life things that I needed to process through. So another reason that Stephanie has struggled with opening up to people is because her first intimate partner that she had in her adult life that made her feel safe for the first time when she was 24 years old, he died suddenly, and the trauma of that experience was devastating for her. She was 24. He was twice her age. He was an addict and an alcoholic and on life parole, but he showed her a love that she had never experienced. And because of that love, she started to see a therapist because for the first time in her life, she felt safe to explore her trauma. January of 2008, I found a therapist to start talking to about my traumas. A few days after I started reliving these traumas that I had buried deep for years, I decided to tell Stan about some of what I was reliving. The same day, he found out that his mom had terminal cancer and only had a few weeks to live. And so I just stuffed my traumas back down and just tried to be there for him. As expected, two weeks later, she died with Stan and I by her side. But what was not expected was two weeks after that, me finding Stan dead. My world came crashing down. At that moment, a week and a half after I found him dead, I closed on the house that we were supposed to be moving into together. And so here I was reliving traumas I had buried deep for years as a support while I was reliving these traumatic memories was gone. And now I'm living in a home where everywhere I turned, I just saw 
all of the plans we had for each room. And it broke my spirit. And day by day, I just fell further down into the depths of my despair. And I became extremely self-destructive. And she fell into a deep, deep despair to the point where she couldn't work. She was self-destructive. She was suicidal. And her mother supported her for a while. But then her mother set a boundary and she was forced to heal. She had to make a choice. Like, am I going to continue in this downward spiral or I'm going to do something? It was her bottom. My mom putting her foot down. It was a pivot point. It changed everything for me because that day she came in hand with the contact information for a therapist. And that therapist, she was perfect for me because that first therapist that I started seeing right before Stan died was horrendous. She ultimately ended up telling me that I was never going to heal unless I accepted God into my life. And that was really devastating for me because I felt that God had abandoned me all those years when I was being violated. So for her to tell me that I could never be healed unless I accepted God into my life, it just traumatized me even more. And so I wasn't getting any help after that. And so my mother had found and my sister helped her find this new therapist. And that new therapist was just a tremendous resource. And I'm actually back with her now. She had moved away for a while. And I tell her how grateful I am to her for not pushing me faster or farther than I was ready to go and just being a partner to me in that journey and allowing me a safe space to talk about what I needed to discuss. The final advice that Stephanie gave was be kind to yourself. I like to end all of my talks with that idea of being kind to yourself, because no matter how far along you are on your healing journey, there's going to be hard days. Sometimes those hard days are not just because memories from your past come up. It's because, well, life is really hard (laughs) sometimes. And even many years after our trauma, life is just throwing us constant blows of just more difficult things to handle. And I think regardless of whether you've experienced trauma or not, it's about just being patient with yourself and kind to yourself and showing yourself the empathy and compassion you deserve. So I told you that my preferred self, you know, form of self-destruction is overeating. Well, I still do that today. So instead of beating myself up over the times that I overeat, I just... I give myself a little pass and say, I acknowledge why I did it, what had happened that day that was really hard and that triggered me. And then the next day, I just choose not to hold it against myself. I just start over fresh the next day and not keep bringing my perceived wrongdoings forward and collecting grievances against myself every day. And so I just. You know, our journey is tumultuous at times, and we get a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. But along the way of our journey, we also have a lot of beauty. And if we're punishing ourselves for everything that we do wrong, we don't have time to embrace the beautiful moments 
And so I encourage people to just let go of their perceived grievances of their wrongdoings and just embrace the beauty along the way. There is no like final destination here where we're finally like done. And so the idea that the process is so important that we are kind to ourselves really resonated with me. Oh, absolutely. I think we are our biggest critic also. So I think, and it's it's almost natural for us to judge ourselves and other people. But I think how to combat that is when it happens to then counteract that with grace and forgiveness, self-compassion first, and then compassion for other people. And then just having a sense of empathy is so helpful. And it really does shift the way that we can engage people, see people, ourselves, the world, and just to really help us fully be in that process of healing. So yeah, I resonate with that as well. Positive self-talk, affirmations, being intentional about correcting negative thoughts is so helpful on the journey. I'm so grateful that Stephanie took the time to come and speak with us today and to share her story. Also to take the time to publish this book. It's really powerful to hear tips and tools when they're paired with personal stories. Stephanie takes the time to not only explain how these tools are useful, but how they worked specifically in her life with her traumas and her stories. And I think that is so powerful and makes it really relatable. So we are going to include a link so that you can check out her book in the description of this podcast, but also If you head over to Instagram at Tears, Tides, and Transformation, we are giving away a few copies of Stephanie's book, Transformation After Trauma. So head over there, find us, check out the post, and potentially win a book. Thank you for being with us here today at Tears, Tides, and Transformation, a podcast about healing. I am Bridget Flaherty. And I am Kiana Daniels. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Dr. Brene Brown said in The Power of Vulnerability, when you own your story, here's the power of that, you get to write the ending. So when you say, yes, this happened to me, but I own this story and here's how this story is going to end, you become not the subject of the story, but you're the narrator of the story. So my story is, I have been sexually violated multiple times by several different men. When I thought I was unlovable, I found a man who loved me in ways I never imagined, and then I found him dead. But my story also includes adventures around the world, me completing my PhD, and changing the lives of more students than I can count. 
I have a sense of empathy and compassion that makes me connect with others on a deep level. My life has been blessed in more ways than I could have ever imagined. My traumas weren't the end of my life or story. They marked the beginning of a tumultuous but beautiful journey. There truly is beauty and darkness.